0: Hi everybody and welcome to the Codependent Perfectionist Podcast. I'm Alana Carvalho and as you know I'm a licensed mental health counselor and of course on this podcast we talk all things codependency and perfectionism and today I'm really excited. I have a, a guest with me and her name is Danny Bryant and I'm excited for you guys because I don't often focus as much on the perfectionism piece and today that's what we're really kind of going to be looking at and Danny is a wonderful therapist. She works at Intuitive Healing. And Danny, I'll let you just introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Hi there. So I am
1: also a mental health counselor. I'm also a drama therapist. So under the umbrella of creative arts therapy, um, my background is actually in the professional theater. So for many years, I was a theater performer and a director and a playwright. And then that transitioned into working with groups of people on their relationship with food and body, both on stage and off. So now I, I do a little bit of work in, in the private practice and a little bit of work on stage and a little bit of work in the treatment center setting. I like a little bit of everything.
0: (laughs) And I think that's great because Danny brings such a creative and um, expansive view into her work in terms of therapy. So I think that that's, it's really wonderful that you have all that, all those pieces to the pie. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to talk about the connection between perfectionism and body image and I'm wondering, Danny, if you can just talk with the audience a little bit about um, what you see in terms of the connection between uh, perfectionism and body image, where, where that comes from, and, and mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think
1: the first initial thought that came to mind when, when we began to talk about this topic is this idea of the ideal. And when it comes to body image, that most individuals have in their brain um, an ideal for their own body or the bodies of others that they deem to be more worthy or valuable or successful or perfect. And I think about where we're fed those narratives. And often, we think about diet culture as a container for it, of of where we fed these perfectionist narratives around what is a valuable body, what is a good body, what is a lovable body. And I think that is where the ideal comes from, is the movies and TV shows we watched as kids, the media we consume now, and certainly, and more the social media, Instagram, TikTok space, and how how bodies are projected to us in such a way that we can't help but lean into an ideal or a perfectionist mindset.
0: Right, and I think that's that's a great point because we're not just getting fed that message in one way. In one way, we're getting fed it in so many ways, pretty much bombarded by that message as you're you're describing, right? That it comes from so much going on in society, around us, society's ideal standards for body image. And that can be really impactful for us. Yeah.
1: And I think about those perfectionist ideals as being inherited as well. And that our relationship with our bodies are really dependent on the messages that we heard from our early caregivers Mm -hmm. about their own bodies or the family narrative around bodies and ideals. And I think that that piece is also really important in how perfectionism could be an inherited trait as well. And if it is showing up in our ancestors, how we are also maybe trying to fit an ideal that belongs to someone else. That's an old, old ideal that has been passed down to us. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that that's an important point as well that, you know, this is often generational in a sense. And we do get passed down these messages around body image and food and our relationship to it from our family. And, and I see it commonly two ways. One I would say is in like direct and verbal um, talking about the body, talking about, you know, a, a parent talking to their child about their body, parent talking about their own body negatively. But then also it can happen in a much more, maybe insidious way where it's not so explicit, right? Where it's being, it's very clear that, you know, someone feels negatively about their own body and somebody else's, but also in in a a family's eating habits, right? And how that can look, you know, if you see say a parent that is very restrictive in their eating habits, right? That's also a learned behavior that you're picking up on as a child, regardless of whether they're sharing with you that they have a distorted, you know, body image percep- perception, right? Yeah,
1: and I think so often parents or, or caregivers mean well in in the small comments or a word we come to use is also like a microaggression around should you be eating that? Should you be wearing that? In that those really small moments from the outside can have such a profound impact that people are still, you know, grappling with years from now that they avoid particular environments with food or particular types of clothing based on a narrative that was reinforced from a parent or a caregiver. It could also be a teacher or a coach. Um I think really any impactful adult in a child's life, when it comes to the body, can be so personal, and that people can really internalize it, and it will show up in subconscious ways and in conscious ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm wondering. I think you know you you're bringing up a really important piece there that I think parents can be very unaware of, and you know as you mentioned, feel like they're they're doing a positive thing by by commenting in this way to their children. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that and what you think would be helpful for parents particularly in terms of helping their child form a more positive body image that's free from perfectionism. Mm-hmm.
1: Well I think what often happens is, and I think it happens in gendered situations too, and that it's become a little bit more of a of a cultural norm that for um, young girls we move away from the comments being "oh, you're so pretty," "oh, you're so cute," and trying to reinforce something about their intelligence or their creativity or their skill. I think the same parallel can be said for of relationship with the body and that if we're reinforcing narratives that your body should be smaller or that you should eat differently or wear different clothing, it is reinforcing that their value is in the external as opposed to the internal. And I think that is what our adult clients are often working with now. It's how their core belief system over time developed in that they really believe their value and worth is in the external as opposed to the internal. Right. And that can be crippling. That can the amount of brain space it can take up in someone that that well, if my body just looked a different way, my life would be different. I would have the job I want, the partner I want, more money, more social connection. And that is just a false belief. Right? There's a mythology around that, that if we can break the cycle when they're a little bitty and start reinforcing this idea that their value and worth is inside, I think we could, we could break a generational cycle of, of the body image distress that is showing up for so many
0: people now. And I love, I believe it's Brene Brown who gave an example, I think it's in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, which is a great one, about seeing her daughter and making sure that she wasn't doing what came naturally to her, which was when her daughter walked into a room to look at her appearance and evaluate that first, and that her daughter could notice, you know, where her eyes were looking. And so she made a concerted effort to make sure that she stopped doing that so that she wasn't reinforcing this idea of your appearance is most important, right? And then she was focusing on on things with her daughter that were outside of that, just as you're saying right now.
1: Mm-hmm. I think Brene is such a good example too, because I've really watched Brene's own relationship with her body evolve over time. And so, I think in that example, I heard her speak to this as well recently on a podcast, ironically, in this idea that for so long, it was, okay, if I if I just sort of change how I talk to my daughter about her body that that's going to create a different environment but also Brene needs to talk differently about her own body to her daughter or out loud and it's also the comments that I think parents make about their own bodies in a way that feels casual or normalized a oh I can't eat that so bad for me or oh, I'm having a day or I just feel really fat right that those comments which are really normalized those also have impact as well of it's not just how we speak to our children about their bodies but how we model for them a different way to be in relationship to our bodies that's more compassionate that's more gentle that's more uh, about our internal as opposed to our external
0: right absolutely yeah i think that's just such an important point because you know parents who aren't overtly making comments to their children, may say, oh, well, this doesn't relate to me. But actually, it may really relate. If you're struggling with your own issues around body image, your children are gonna pick up on that, no doubt, right? Yes. And it's not to shame you around that. Don't feel shame because it's something that so many of us struggle with. I mean, it's such a big piece of, piece of what goes on in our culture. Um, and I can't tell you how many of my clients who struggle with perfectionism issues also struggle with body image issues, right? It's so connected. And so the idea there is not to shame you, but to just bring awareness to that piece that you might not be aware of if you're listening to this and this is something that, really, that you can relate with, like your own, your own view around your body image.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think there is a piece that can come up where the perfectionism either starts in the body, but then jumps to something else, right? And knowing that it's an equal opportunist, that usually perfectionism shows up in many different areas for someone who's maybe doing eating disorder recovery work or food and body image work. Usually the perfectionism is popping up elsewhere too. And I think that can also be helpful to remember that you know, it's not just about working on how perfectionism shows up in the body, but how else does it show up in other parts of our life right. and where our expectations for ourself, um
0: need some, need some work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're healing perfectionism issues, it's not, it's rarely ever just one piece of your life, right? It shows up in so many different ways. And so, you know, people also can become really overwhelmed with that. And my suggestion, of course, for everybody listening, if, if that applies to you, is to be mindful that you, you don't have to work on all this stuff at one time. You can do it piece by piece. And I've often seen clients who are working on perfectionism issues, you know, they tackle one piece. Maybe it's work shows up first. And then after we've gotten a good grasp on work, then we're moving on to you know relationships and then we're moving on to body image and all of that is is totally normal and part of the process. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering Danny if you could speak a little bit to people who may be struggling with their own issues around body image and perfectionism about how, any suggestions you have to begin the healing work on on these issues.
1: Mm-hmm. I also think body image work can be really isolating in that it can be hard to talk about with friends, family, community, because as you just said, Alana, so many people struggle with it in such an intense way. So I think an important first step when people are ready to do some work around perfectionism and and their body image is to seek out community. And I think the irony, right, is we talk about how both social media reinforces some of the perfectionism, that's also where sort of the counterculture, the alternate perspective, the body positivity movement, the body liberation community, the health at every size frameworks are online. And so to be able to expose ourselves to a different perspective of what a body acceptance community could be like or a perspective, or to find people that we relate to that are talking about body image in a different way, I think is a great first step. Because if we are surrounded by a different narrative, we we can learn something new. And that I believe that body image is learned. And so if we learned it, we can unlearn it and learn something different. And I think with that comes a great deal of patience because we think of how long someone has lived in their body if they're 32 and they've decided that they are ready to, to do something different. Well, they've been in this narrative for 32 years. So the expectation that in six months or a year, they're going to radically shift their relationship with their body, that also has to do with perfectionism of That there's a right timeline or a right way to do this work too. It's so individualized. And I think starting with trying to find a community around it who are talking about bodies in a
0: new way is a great first step. I think that's a great point for everybody. And you're right, the social media piece of it, wow, it can be so destructive. And I think one of the things that I help my clients do is be really mindful about who they're following on social media for all different um, reasons, because we can be so impacted by the pictures that we see, the words that we hear, um, you know, the messages that are being sent on social media. We have to be so mindful about that. So I love the idea of shifting that into something that is much more positive and you mentioned body positivity health at every size i'm wondering if you could speak a little bit danny about what what that even means for people who have no understanding of of these new ideas
1: mm-hmm. yeah and, and i like to use the container of the body liberation movement as as the place where all these other words sort of come off of or frameworks in that There are communities and practitioners, clinicians, therapists, dietitians, treatment centers that have a core belief that we are all allowed to feel free in our body and that we can feel free from these limited beliefs and these unrealistic expectations, these diet culture narratives. So I think body liberation is working towards this belief that all bodies are valuable. All bodies are worthy. All bodies deserve respect. And so in that comes many different frameworks in which people can align themselves with. The body positivity movement, the body acceptance movement, it's, it's about what you're drawn to. The fat acceptance movement of people who live in larger or fat bodies who are are learning to embrace their bodies as they are and not buying into an ideal that, that we should be shifting and, and changing into something different. And the Health at Every Size framework is an evidence-based, research-based framework that have principles around the power of movement and eating for well-being and respectful care are all about the individual and it's much less about buying into this idea that there's one way to be deserving of health and that is to make our bodies different than they are as opposed to health behaviors that we could be aspiring to. How do we feel more energized in our body? How do we feel stronger? How do we eat for energy and well-being? And to move away from this diet culture narrative that Everyone should be aspiring to be a particular perfectionist standard of, of, a, of an ideal. And so there are all these different paradigms and shifts and communities and research happening that we have been operating on a status quo for quite some time. And what if there was a different way to do things that could help us be more free and feel more Um, like our value is internal as opposed to external.
0: Right. Thank you for explaining that. And something that I was thinking about, as you mentioned, diet culture is something that I I love to share with my clients around dieting, especially because I often work with codependents and perfectionists, is the idea of dieting is such an extreme in terms of, um, you know, eating patterns, right? It's an extreme, an extreme thing to take part in, although we don't think of it that way, because I think diets are so normalized for us. I mean, the diet, mm-hmm. the diet industry is huge, right? Um, but the idea of restricting ourselves in a particular way and how that really impacts us and, and aligns with our very black or white thinking and our uh, codependency and perfectionism is really mm-hmm. important. And I wonder, Danny, if you could speak a little bit to what you think is perhaps the negative about dieting in in the way that i'm that i'm sharing
1: sure and I think you're exactly right. And it's it's that the intensity of restriction, and I'm thinking of restriction as both limiting maybe a caloric intake or a category of food or meals skipping or delayed eating, um, all counts as restriction. In addition to this idea of that there are good foods or bad foods or healthy foods or unhealthy foods, that's also a type of, of cognitive restriction that can lead to the opposite. Right, I think Halloween just occurred, um, and so I know lots of families are grappling with. Okay, what do we do with the candy? And one you know example I like to use is the kid whose parents say you can't have any of your Halloween candy, or you can have one piece a day. Um, in that restrictive mindset, all the child then does is talk about the candy, or think about the candy, or want the candy. It's instead of trusting the child to be more intuitive around their relationship with food, that that gives us a better um, sustainable way of, of eating and being in our bodies. And something that shares our namesake is the intuitive eating framework as well, which is really this idea that we should be working on, on body trust and trusting ourselves with food, and it's in the restriction, in the holding back, in the black and white, the perfectionism, that there's a right way to eat and a wrong way to eat, that actually reinforces the part of ourselves that then brain space is all it does is taken up with food because we're restricting, as opposed to giving ourselves more
0: freedom and permission to eat intuitively and trust ourselves with food yeah that's it's such an interesting perspective that i think not many people are aware of right that what you're talking about, Danny, is really changing our whole relationship with eating and food and, and helping our children, of course, do the same thing. And I you know people have a pretty strong reaction, I've found, to the idea of intuitive eating because it's like, oh my God, but what if I gain weight? Or, you know, mm-hmm. or what if I what if I go out of control if I eat intuitively in the way that you're talking about? And I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that.
1: Yeah, and it, it is, again, sort of the all or nothing um, perspective of, of if I gave myself permission to follow my instincts, that I would be led to something that felt like binge eating. And I think in some ways, that's our biggest fear, right? And it circles a little bit back to diet culture something called weight stigma is that it becomes our biggest fear to be in a larger body or to be in a changing body when what we know is that gaining and losing weight over one's lifetime is so normal especially for folks who are parents or who experience a loss or crisis or a sustained you know world global pandemic that actually it's it's quite normal for our body to change when our movement changes, our eating patterns change. So I think part of it is um, moving away from and challenging the belief that being in a larger body is bad which again, I know is a big ask because it's sometimes more of an existential core value system that we have to work on. And that's where the patience comes in. Because you're right, Alana, if someone starts down the road of intuitive eating, they might have a period of time where they've been restricting carbs for a long time that they're gonna need to learn to have some more freedom and joy and pleasure with carbs. But the goal is that, that's going to then shift inherently in itself. And that once you have given yourself permission, the food has less power, right? Because it was never really about the food. It was about the restriction and our core beliefs that there's a
0: perfectionist way
1: of eating or being in our body.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and I remember Danny did a really wonderful presentation, um, on health at every size and body image. And one of the things you mentioned, Dani, I remember, is that um, dieting actually ends up leading to increased weight over time. I I believe that that was this sort of related to that. Could you speak to that for a moment? Sure. So
1: what we know colloquially as yo-yo dieting in more of a research clinical space, we call weight cycling. So that is when someone over a lifetime, maybe starting in adolescence, when restrictive dieting might start, it's when someone goes up in weight and then loses weight and then goes up in weight and loses weight. And that's because that dieting model is not sustainable and that most people who lose weight in a short period of time will end up gaining it back and plus more. And so that's weight cycling is, is when you, in your period of life, have gained and lost a bunch of weight. And you'll probably notice that, that every time that the diet didn't work, you some people really internalize it and feel like they failed. That the weight comes back plus more, and that is because our bodies and our metabolism is really smart and it doesn't want us to starve, it doesn't want us to restrict, and so it it changes what's called our biological set point, which is a range of our body size that most people have that for some individuals who experience weight cycling might be higher and, it, and it's, their bodies might just be meant to be in a larger size, but that's usually in response, not always, to weight cycling and being in, in a diet culture cycle that was really hard to break out of. So if early on in people's lives, whether it's how we talk to our children, whether it's teens or college-age students or young adults in their 20s who are a lot of our clients, if we can start breaking the weight cycling, diet culture cycle now, we're setting them up for a much longer lifetime of body peace, body trust, body respect. But if we continue down the restrictive diet cycle, people's relationship with their weight and body is going to continue to feel really volatile because of what we know about weight cycling.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's it's great information, Danny. So, we're moving towards the end of the podcast and I just want to see if you would be open to sharing some ways that you think the audience can work on developing a more positive relationship with their body that can start today. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think an important place to start is coming back to that value system and our core values around what is important to us. And what we know is that our values, some are inherited, but we also get to choose our values and what is most important to us. And if we map out our values, a lot of the times words show up like kindness or justice, or respect. And in that, we can start thinking about, okay, am I applying that to others or myself? A really common narrative in this work is, oh, Danny, I, I think body acceptance is great, I love it, I think it's awesome, but for everybody else, not for me. For me, I, I have a standard that I need to, to contain, um, there is a body size that is is perfect for me, and and so everybody else can sort of be free in their body, but not for me. And then we can look at the values. Okay, so you value it for others, but not yourself. How can we think about how our core beliefs apply to us and that we are also working towards kindness, compassion, respect, and justice and fairness and feeling like we're not changing ourselves, but that it's the system that should change right? It's the diet culture that needs to change. Why should we have to change? That's not fair to us. So I always encourage people to start with the core values, the core beliefs of what's really important to them and see where their relationship with their body might not be in alignment with those values. And that's where some, some work is to be
0: done. Yeah. And that concept reminds me also of um, the work that is so important in healing codependency and perfectionism issues, which is becoming your own best friend, right? Mm -hmm. And treating yourself the way that you would treat someone you really love and care about. And I I love applying that in a similar way in terms of this, uh, in terms of the body image work.
1: Yes. Because if we heard our, our best friend, talking to themselves about their body in the way that we might talk to ourselves we we would be shocked we would be horrified we would say no 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 you are not you are not that right you are i see you this way this is how i value and love you and so when we hear in others we are primed to say oh no don't talk about yourself in that way. But when it comes to us and our internal perfectionist who who might be steering the ship a little bit and bully sometimes, when we hear that in others, we're much more likely to interrupt it. And so if we can do it for ourselves, I think that's also
0: a big step. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Danny. It's been great. I I think the information you provided should be super helpful for those listening who can really relate to this, which I think is, of course, so many people. So, why don't you share with the audience how they can find you? Sure. So,
1: um, my website is dannybryant.com, and then on Instagram, I am Miss Danny Bryant, M S Danny Bryant, and that's my professional Instagram page where I love to post resources, workshops, other folks to follow. So, starting to build that community a good first place to, be to follow me, and then I'm always sharing different folks who I think have a message that's worth hearing.
0: Yeah. And Danny has such a great community. So I highly recommend that. And of course uh, you can find me at the codependent perfectionist on Instagram, or you can find me on my website, alanacarvallo.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions to follow up with the podcast today, feel free to reach out to either one of us and maybe we'll have another one. We'll see. Thank you so much. Thanks, Danny. Thank you.